Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. Um, this week, happy to welcome back Quincy Wheeler again. A uh, great guest we had on a couple of weeks ago. Always gives good advice and a great follow on Twitter as well. Uh, so, Quincy, yeah, thank you for uh, coming on again. Thank you, Amari. It was very nice of you to offer. And thanks for working around my schedule. I had some Internet issues last week and couldn't join you, but you asked me on again. So I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. So I just ended up doing a solo episode, which like I always feel is pretty awkward. I've only done two <laughs> this whole season because I don't like talking to myself. Um, but yeah, we, we made it work and glad to, like I said, glad to have you back this 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 week. Um, yeah, you always give good insight. So I'm excited to to get into it. So if we could, we could start with um, a couple series that the guardians went through um right now they're finishing up their three game set against san francisco the incident rubber match one one um but losing three out of four to the angels is definitely not something that i expected to see um especially seeing how um, i guess insert any word here how bad the angels are and how they floundered post trade deadline but um yeah just wanted to get your thoughts on that because to, to come out and lose the way that they did, uh, losing leads, just being beat by a team that I think on paper you're definitely better than, um, but to go out and underperform over a four-game series, I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the Guardians are who they thought we were, as Dennis Green once told us. You know, they're just not a very good team. And so you just can't tell from series to series what's going to happen. They're playing the Giants well. The Giants are a good team, and they're playing the Giants well. The Angels are a terrible team. They're playing the Angels terribly. And that's just watching a bad young team, especially. Like, when young teams are bad, that's how they look, inconsistent and frustrating. Admittedly, the Guardians are a little bit older right now because they've got uh, Calhoun and Loriano regularly in the lineup, but um, yeah, I just just an inconsistent series. Had some bullpen trouble. Had some guys that couldn't come through. A lot a lot of guys on base couldn't come through at the right moments, which is partly luck and partly the symptom of having not a great lineup. So yeah, it was frustrating. I mean, losing three out of four to the Angels. If anybody was like, oh, maybe there's still a shot, that should tell you there's not a shot. It's over. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. Um, losing three games to the Angels definitely felt like if there was any chance that that door has officially been slammed shut and bolted and nailed shut, um, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and now, I don't know, is it just like enjoy the rest of the series after after they, after today's game, they have a day off and then they're with the Rangers and then the Royals. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just that time of the season where it's just like you, you really have nothing to play for. So um just enjoy yeah enjoy yeah, enjoy what's yeah. there and you know with tito retiring after the season most likely yeah. just enjoy what you have out of him for the next couple of weeks yeah. yeah i was just gonna say just to remember how long the winter is without baseball and try to enjoy the next couple of weeks yep that's it yeah yeah i mean 
it's a contrast between last year and all the excitement of, hey, we're actually going to win this division, and hey, we're going to see what happens in the playoffs, and oh, hey, we want to want a, a series. So I, I guess you just hope that guys kind of hang on to that and think about how great that was and feel how terrible it was this year and get motivated to do as much work as they need in the offseason. Not saying anybody, you know, took it easy last offseason, but oftentimes, you know, disappointment can lead guys to say, well, maybe I can work hard on making a needed change. So hopefully that'll be the case. Yeah. And speaking of change, you know, we were talking about Tito retiring after the uh, season, most likely. Uh, I mean, I guess it's all been confirmed at this point. Um, but going into that that long offseason, the hot stove portion of the offseason, um, I don't know. Who, who are some guys on, on your mind that you think could be a good fit in Cleveland to replace him? Um, I don't know if you have like a tentative list or not. I know last week um, I went over um, a list from Nick Wilson from 92.3. Um, I saw you did as well on Twitter. Uh, you you mentioned it in a couple of your tweets. Um, but I don't know if there's some some people on that list. If you have some guys in mind that maybe nobody's heard of, maybe a, a dark horse in the race, or uh, who are some people that you have in mind that you think could be a good fit in Cleveland for next year? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, I, I wrote a little article for Covering the Corner where I, I write some and I'm trying to fill in right now because we don't have a site runner trying to do some extra stuff. So I wrote an article about some options out there. I think of the guys on the Guardians current staff i think mike sarbaugh and luke carlin would be guys i'd think about i know that luke carlin has a lot of respect in the organization he's a assistant catching coach so it may not really be obvious but i know that he used to manage in lake county and they they thought a lot about him and moved him up to the major league club so just a name to kind of keep an eye on as a dark horse uh but mike sarbaugh to me, of the DeMarlo Hale, Sandy Alomar collection, and Mike Sarbaugh, he's the one that I'd watch out for as possibly a manager. He never had a losing season in nine years as a manager in the minor league system. I know the players love him, and uh, so that's one I'd, I'd think about, and I'm not opposed to that. do wonder if it might be an opportunity to bring somebody in from outside the organization. But also, another guy I'd mention, Ruglas Odor, who's the Akron Rubber Ducks manager, uh, He's he's bilingual. He relates real well to the Latin American players who Cleveland has a lot of, as well as all the other players. I know that guys have a lot of great things to say about him, so I wouldn't be surprised if the, the team was eyeballing him as somebody who could possibly step into that role if they look at internal options. But there's a lot of interesting options outside the organization. I'll just give you a couple of thoughts Joe Espada, Astros bench coach, 48-year-old guy from Puerto Rico. Uh, He's interviewed for a few manager positions. He's thought of a lot. I like Brian Snicker for the Braves a lot, and his son is a hitting coach for the Astros, and the Astros obviously are super successful hitting-wise. Interested in the idea of maybe sniping somebody from their organization and seeing if you can get some insights into some things to help out the Guardians hitting. So Troy Snicker would be an interesting idea, or Joe Espada. Um, of course, the Rays, everybody always tries to get people from the race because they're super successful in everything that they do. Uh, Rodney Linares, he's the uh, Rays bench coach. Um, so it's always interesting to think about those guys and what they offer. He's Dominican-American, so again, kind of offers that good connection for Latin American players to think about. Uh, just run through some other ideas. Tony Mancellino, who's the Orioles' third base coach. Brian Bannister, who's director of pitching for the Giants. Uh, and, um, 
Justin Vele, who's a hitting coach for the Giants, too, has done some interesting things there, as well as Will Venable. Will Venable was mentioned by Andre Knott recently. He is the assistant manager for Texas. They seem to be kind of grooming him to someday replace Bruce Bochy, so I'm not sure if he's interested in moving on, but he went to school with Mike Chernoff, and uh, I've heard... From, I heard from Andre Knott and from Zach Meisel that the organization likes him, so that's kind of an interesting name to keep in mind. Um, and uh, and he's he's got some interesting experiences, too. His dad played Major League Baseball, and his dad also played in Japan. So, um, And he's he's got a, a lot of interesting things to offer there. But then uh, just a couple of guys I mentioned, Mike Napoli, he's first base coach for the Cubs. He's got a reputation as a guy who's up and coming. Obviously, there's a connection there. And Shelly Duncan, um, who also used to play for the Indians, he's a manager of the Yankees AAA team, and he's got a pretty good reputation. So those are the guys that I kind of have in mind. I'm, I, if, if, I, if somebody came from that group, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd, I'd be surprised. I know that uh, Nixless was good too. I know that he talked a little bit about guys who used to be managers. I think if I had to guess that if they don't go with somebody internal, like, like Mark Starball, that could happen. If that happened, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they'll probably try to go a little bit younger, young, a young manager with a young team kind of growing up together. That makes sense to me. Um, not sure it will to them, but I wouldn't be surprised by it. So I think I'd lean towards the the Will Venable, Mike Napoli, that side of the equation. Uh, yeah, of that group, do you do you have a favorite of anybody that you named? I know for me last week I named uh, Jace Tingler and Chris Woodward because I their managerial experience already. Uh, as you said, this is a young team, so I would. Look for experience, but also on the younger side as well. So those are uh, two names that I like. But uh, like I said, uh, you know, who's who's a favorite good of yours that you like? Part, I think. Yeah. Yeah, good logic on your part, I think, too. It's nice. It is good to think about having an older guy, too, to provide that wisdom for the club. I'm just kind of interested to see if they might say, well, it might make sense to have somebody a little closer to them in age that might be able to communicate to them on some levels that they would appreciate that maybe some older guys struggle with. But, you know, that's not always the case. Carl Willis, obviously amazing with pitchers of any age. So you find someone like that, it can work. Dusty Baker being great with the Astros. So um, of those two, I like Tangler better than Woodward. Woodward, there's a little bit of some commotion about his relationships with players, and I don't like to hear that kind of thing. So Tangler, I like that idea a little bit more than Woodward. But uh, of the bunch that I mentioned, I'm really sold on Will Venable. I think he'll be a good manager. And... um, read a couple interviews with guys that have said uh, how kind he is and how attentive he is and how much he cares about the people that he works with. And I think that makes a huge difference. I think that's part of what Tito offers the organization too. He's got that ability to listen to anybody and it made a difference for Cleveland to know, Oh, this guy's a hall of fame manager, but he's willing to listen to anybody's opinion. If they've got something that I think might happen, it might help the team. And obviously he's very personable too. So I do think someone like Venable would be a good person to step into the equation. And I would tend towards wanting to add somebody outside the organization to bring in a new fresh voice to maybe shake things up a little bit. So that's why I'd, I'd lean that way. If I had to go internal, I'd pick Mark Sar- Mike Sarbaugh or Lucas Adore probably. But those are my, my top three, I guess. 
Uh, bringing it back around to Tito, um, I want to get your opinion on um, just overall, how do you think he's done uh, this season? We all know that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, the success that we've had since he's been hired, uh, the immediate turnaround, making it to the wild card in the first year that he was hired. Um, but what are your thoughts on this season specifically uh, with the disappointment that we've gone through, the young players, uh, injuries as well, and um, just kind of seeming like he hasn't been at his best uh, leading this team and all the, the criticisms that's come with it as well. Yeah. Um, I, as usual, managers in baseball get way too much credit when things are going well and way too much blame when things aren't going well. Best you can ask for managers is that they put guys in the best position they can to succeed and that they keep the clubhouse together I think Tito always does a good job with the clubhouse. You know, he he tends if he had if he's going to err, he tends towards the lax side of things, which was shown with the like chickens, chicken wings, and beer situation with the Red Sox. You know, he just kind of lets guys do their thing, and and guys love that. But um, I think that's why they've had Demarlo Hale be with Tito too, because Demar is very much a disciplinarian. I know, which you kind of need both of those things to go on in your in your clubhouse. So I think he always does well there. As far as the the season goes there's times that i just don't understand decisions that are made i can't always tell what's tito and what's the front office because i and what's ownership like we don't know like it was just revealed the other day that that one of the owners uh, who was it oh that um that i think it was already marino uh no no maybe it's reinsdorf i i forget one of these idiotic owners is making all these decisions for the team and doesn't know anything about it and I don't think that's Paul Dolan, but I can't 100% say that, like, for example, Paul Dolan paid for this extension for Miles Straw. What if he's like, hey, guys, we paid for this. We really need to see what this guy has to offer. If he's on the team, he needs to play. I don't think he did that, but I can't 100% rule it out. You know, it's one of those things. Is it Tito who's saying Miles Straw needs to play practically every day? He needs to get 500 at bats. Or is the front office or ownership saying we need to give this guy 500 bats? And that's frustrating that you you see Miles Straw take all these high leverage bats in the eighth and ninth inning. But is that him? You know, is it Tito who's taking Bo Naylor out of all these games against left-handed pitchers? Or is that the front office? Or is that, you know, like, I just don't know for sure. But as you said, I mean, there's definitely some things that make you scratch your head. And, and there are things that I think think is probably Tito. I, I can't imagine the front office saying you need to play Cole Calhoun as much as Tito does. And Calhoun's not been bad. But I do think that it illustrates that Tito, he loves his guys, he loves his veterans, and he's loyal to a fault. And it, that's probably hurt the team a little bit this year, especially in the case of Ahmed Rosario. You know, we needed to see less of him and more of the other shortstops earlier in the year to get a better evaluation on them. But it's organizational failure, not just on Tito. Overall, obviously, amazing manager. I guess all we can do is hope that the next person gets some, you know, wisdom and guidance from Tito and all those who've had the experience of working with him, and maybe can bring something new and exciting and some, you know, accountability as far as getting the team where they want to go. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, those shortstops. Um, how do you think that the players have done? even with what seems to be limited at-bats. Um, Arias finally is playing mostly every day and every day at shortstop. 
Um, but just overall, especially with Freeman not getting at bats and also having injury as well, how do you think the young young guys have done with the limited time that you've seen them? Yeah, what a what a challenging thing to figure out. You know, Arias had coming in today had a 125 WRC plus against right-handed pitching, but is like underwater against left-handed pitching. You just can't yeah. seem to hit left-handers. His, his reverse splits are insane. Like insane. I don't know what it is to this point, but last time I checked notes um when I was working a game, his left under against lefties, he's hitting under 100, which is yep. crazy yeah, he, for a right-handed hitter with pop in his bat. Under underwater against him, yeah. He got a double today off a lefty, which is good. I I would tend to say that's not going to be the case. Like, he's probably never going to hit left-handed pitching well, but he should be okay. Like, I would expect to see him somewhere around, like, 80 WRC+. And if he was that, then I think everybody right now would be saying, oh, that's your shortstop for 2024. But his numbers look so bad because he oftentimes plays against left-handers and has throughout the year played against left-handed pitching. Uh, because he's a right-handed hitter and the Guardians or Tito apparently think he's going to figure it out and he just hasn't yet. Uh, obviously, he's got the glove. He's got an amazing arm. The question is whether he's going to avoid the swing and miss enough to be that starter. And it's not clear, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the first chance to be the starting shortstop. did hear today on the Clippers broadcast, their play-by-play guy saying that it was his understanding that Rocchio is still Brian Rocchio is still in Columbus because the team wants him to get everyday at bats because they see him as a big part of their future. It is interesting how anytime he was up with the team, he basically almost always got a start. So I do think they think a lot of him. Um, he obviously got way out of ton, which is weird for him. So I don't know that you can make a real valuation of what he was capable of. I think Freeman is probably a bench bat, a utility guy, and it might be because of the shoulder. I think they're sensitive about that shoulder not wanting to play him every day. And I think he's good in that role because he can almost always put the ball to the bat no matter what's happening. So I think that's kind of where he's going to end up. Jose Tania had a great year at Columbus. He had a, a bad start at Akron, picked things up, and then Columbus just went absolutely nuclear. And he's a really great defender, so it would be really fun if he found it but I don't know that you can really read that much into a couple months at Columbus where he just was going nuts or even maybe it was just one month at Columbus where he went nuts, but they have given him a shot in the team. Kind of an interesting guy to think about. My guess is that coming in 2024, Arias gets the first chance to start and then you'll have Rocchio hanging out ready to take over if need be. And I would assume they're probably going to trade somebody here at some point and Juan Brito, you know, he's hanging out there. He's hit, hitting well in Akron. If he comes up, he'll play second, and Jimenez would switch to short for sure. But um, that would probably be a, a mid-year thing if that happens. So that's my expectation. I think Arias, if he's if he's here, if he's not traded, if some team isn't like, wow, we love him, and Cleveland says, all right, well, we love somebody that you have, I think he's your starting shortstop for 2024, but it won't necessarily last for the whole year if things don't go well. Um, yeah, that was actually going to be my next question, whether or not you thought that he would be the starting shortstop for next year. I think for me, um, to this point, he's done enough. Um, I put emphasis on enough because obviously he could do more. Um, but I don't think to this point he's hurt his chances to be the starting shortstop. Um, so if it were, if it were me, um, I'd be penciling him in to that point. But as far as trades, like you were talking about, um, for me personally, I think that, yeah, they do need to make a trade because we just have way too many um, options at middle infield. And I feel like you need to kind of narrow it down 
to who's going to be your starters and then your your backup and then have Freeman as utility, um, which could help in the future. Maybe you could get another bat as they've not been good at developing hitters, as we've seen. And maybe you could get another uh, major league ready arm. Who knows? But um, I think a trade could definitely be um, beneficial for next year. Pretty much have to trade somebody because they've got all these shortstops or second baseman, these middle infielders on the on the uh, 40 man. And they even have other guys like Diane Frias, who's going to the Arizona fall league. He could possibly get added to the 40 man or get selected in the rule five. If he doesn't, I mean, got to kind of make a decision and move on from some guys. Yeah. Including a guy that they just traded for uh, the trade deadline, another middle infielder. So kind of got to figure it out. Um, but moving to the outfield um, revolving door, uh, we know the struggles that Miles straw has had. Um, in, in, in center field with his bat, uh, revolving door in right field with Brennan, who seems to have floundered. Oscar Gonzalez has been sit back down again this year, had high expectations for him coming into the season. Um, who would be your trio, uh, in the outfield for next year? Um, assuming that, I mean, maybe Loriano does come back. I don't know. Definitely don't expect to see Calhoun back. He's been playing a lot of first base anyway, but who are the three names that you would like to have or that you see being in the outfield for next year? Yeah, well, good question. I think if I had to choose from internal options, then probably next year I'd start off with Quan, Brennan in center, platooning with Loriano in center, and then I'd probably have another platoon in right field with Valera, and they can choose either Jan Kenzie Noel or Jonathan Rodriguez, whoever they want to give the first shot to. Uh, that would be my internal options. I I just don't see how they can start Miles Straw another year after two straight years of being the worst qualified hitter in baseball. The defense just isn't enough to make up for that. So, And he's not stealing bases anymore either, which was another big part of his game. And I don't know if that's because of injury or what, but I don't know that that's going to affect the bat. They need to find a way to move on from him in some way. I don't know if I'll settle for him being the fifth outfielder, you know, to be a guy who comes in as a defensive replacement and pinch runner. I'll settle for that. But I think they need to find a way to move on from him, even if they need to eat some money to do it. It's just not working. I wish it was, but it's just not working. Uh, so with that said, I, they really need to add at least one outfielder, possibly two, in, you know, in a trade. Uh, Taylor Ward from the Angels. The Angels should be stripping the roster bare to the studs, and Taylor Ward would be a good choice. He hits lefties well as a right-hander, and ha- we can look for like a 120 WRC plus from him. Um, the uh, What else? Uh, Teoscar Hernandez might be an interesting name in free agency if you can get him on like a two- or three-year deal, which I'm not sure if he can, but maybe you can, but he'd be another good right-handed bat who crushes lefties and He's actually had his best year ever against fastballs this year, which is a good sign for a guy who's 30 that he's not dropping off yet. So, uh, so those, those are a couple names to keep in mind. I also, I also like, uh, there's a guy, young who Lee, who's coming over from Korea and he's, he, he could play center field. He's a left-handed hitter, but which, you know, just go with the all left-handed lineup at this point, I guess, but he, he played in center field and, and he's got great contact and really shown the ability to start lifting and driving the ball. So if they would want to get into that game to try to, you know, play for somebody like that in free agency, I'd be interested, be more interested in that than Cody Bellinger. I'm not hundred percent sure that Cody Bellinger's 
comeback season this year is sustainable. I think he'll be like an above average player, but I'd like to get a little more upside in that position if I could, especially considering that Bellinger will probably get a pretty good deal in free agency, which I'm not sure the Guardians would play to that. But Lee, like I said, from Korea, teams aren't going to be 100% sold, I think, although guys have made pretty good transitions. But I think you could look at how well Senshu Chu had a good time in Cleveland and say, hey, I can make it work there. Uh, you get a lot of great marketing opportunities from getting a player from Korea to Japan. And uh, and, and it, the level of competition there is somewhere between AA and AAA. And if you saw a guy like him with those numbers in AA and AAA, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll for sure take that guy. So... I'd love it if they'd be in on those conversations and go after somebody like that because the free agent market next year for outfielders is pretty, pretty poor. It's to Oscar Hernandez and much, not much else. So those are some names I'd be interested in. Um, I do want to ask you whether or not um, Oscar Gonzalez, maybe do you think he has seen his last uh, at bat in a Cleveland uniform? He's still young, yeah. has upside and he kind of reminds me of, Framo Reyes, unfortunately. Um, but do you think he, maybe he's played his last last game in Cleveland? I do kind of think that I I don't I wouldn't say that I'm a hundred percent out on Oscar Gonzalez, but uh, especially during their attempt to try to make the playoffs, it didn't make sense to play him anymore because he just couldn't stop swinging at everything. So I understood them sending him back to Columbus, where he's done exceptionally well in Columbus. He's proven that he can hit AAA pitching. It's just when you get to the majors and guys know you're not going to swing or you're not going to be able to stop swinging at balls that aren't anywhere near the strike zone. Apparently, everybody went back and looked at the scouting reports from last year and were like, hey, we should try throwing this guy balls that are even further away from the zone and see what happens. And he just can't lay off those pitches. And I don't know if that will change because it really is in his profile from the very beginning. He just managed to, you know, avoid it last year. He managed to see just enough pitches to see just enough strikes to do what he did last year, get to get that 120 WC plus. But we saw he couldn't really get to his power consistently here. And I think that was a sign that part of this is because major league pitchers are good enough to where they throw pitches that are far enough outside the zone. You can't do as much with them and he can't resist those pitches. So I do think he's probably done in Cleveland. don't know that he's done in major league baseball. I hope not because he's a fun player. But I don't. I don't know that they're going to give him another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, past couple of years, we've seen Mal Straw get an extension. We've seen Jose Ramirez get an extension. We've seen Jimenez get an extension. Uh, do you see Josh Naylor possibly getting an extension this year uh, with the work that he's done this season? And if so, um, where do you think he plays the majority of his games next year uh, with Cal Manzardo coming up behind him? Yeah, I, I do think that they'll pursue an extension with Naylor. I really hope they do. I think that'd be the number one thing they could do this offseason that would be best helping to the team. And I think that you'll just see Naylor and Manzardo split time between first base and DH, and they'll feel pretty good about that. I don't think they'll put Naylor back in the outfield, but I'm not 100% against it. In that case, you might see Straw back in center field because you need somebody who could cover a lot of ground to be out there next to Naylor. Um so I wouldn't say it's hundred percent off the table, but I think it's unlikely. And as far as like other extensions, I still wouldn't rule out a Tristan McKenzie extension. If he comes back and he looks strong, I think they could probably do a, like a shorter extension uh, and get him for a pretty decent price because of the issues he's had injury wise. And I think they really like him as a person and how is it not like to, you know, how can you not like him as a person as well as what he can offer? So 
and the fact that Tristan McKenzie, again, the guy can absolutely dominate people at 90, 91 miles an hour with his fastball. So I don't know that you you really worry too much if he has to get Tommy John, that he'll probably still be a pretty darn good pitcher. So, so yeah, I could see that possibly happening. I don't know if there's anybody else that really comes to mind. Well, Stephen Kwan, I could see that too. Stephen Kwan would be another good extension candidate. And honestly, now that I think about it, if you go to Bo Naylor and Tanner Bybee and say, hey, guys, really like what you offer. Can we buy out your arbitration years and add a couple on? That would make a lot of sense too. like it. Um, you brought up Tristan McKenzie. Obviously, we don't know what the future holds for him with his injury, um, but Hypothetically, you know, he comes back and even if he isn't productive, um, he doesn't get hurt again. He goes into next season healthy. Um, do you expect to see him and or Shane Bieber um, in a Cleveland uniform for next season? And, you know, how much? Because McKenzie, he obviously has upside, but he also could have trade value. And I'm not, yeah. you know, advocating for that. But how much do you expect to see him and Shane Bieber for uh, the Guardians next year? I, if they're healthy, I think they're both with the Guardians through the offseason, but then you look at the trade deadline. Um, if the Guardians can flip one of them and get something that they need, I could see that happening, especially in Bieber's case. I think that if McKenzie doesn't come back healthy, then he's just going to get Tommy John. I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. I think Bieber... Bieber's probably, I think from the sound of things, Bieber, Bieber will be all right. He's probably not going to show teams a ton before his, uh, before they start the season. So that's why I think they could trade him midseason, but I don't think they'll trade him in the offseason. Obviously, it wouldn't be shocking if they did, but I just don't think they will because given the arm situation, it's going to be hard to get what they want for value from him. So, yeah, I think they'll both be here and hopefully they'll be healthy. Nobody knows, though. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Right. Um, I won't even bring up Cindergard or, or Lucas Giolito. We've seen how that's gone. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they're. I gone. mean, for, definitely fortunate to have them just to kind of have innings to to yeah. to use up. Um, but as far as the the three young pitchers, uh, Logan Allen, who today we'll see if he gets the win. They're up five one right now, so hopefully they do. Uh, pitch five innings, struck out five, allowed one earned. Um, him, Gavin Williams, and um, and Tanner Bybee. Are you comfortable with those three kind of being maybe your one through three, maybe one of them's a four, Logan Allen, uh, but are you comfortable going into next season kind of placing the bulk of uh, your pitching production on them? Uh, I mean, I would say no. I do need to have a veteran up there, so hopefully Bieber, hopefully McKenzie are healthy, but if not, they're going to need to go trade for or sign somebody. There are a few guys out there who would be interesting signings. Even Giolito, if you think you see something you can fix with him, not Sundergaard, but even Giolito. Um, and there are some guys like that who would be good to get on one-year deals. And they're gonna if if Bieber and McKenzie are questionable, they really need to add a veteran because you got to pretty much plan on one of these rookies getting hurt because it's it's pretty much going to happen. So hopefully it's it's you know something that's minor and they're not out for too long, but pretty much have to plan on that. Hopefully Espino, you know, hopefully he's able to start pitching again midseason and you can get him at some point. Hopefully Cantillo, Cantillo figures out the walk situation. Doug Nikhazy figures out the walk situation and you can have those guys hanging around too. Maybe Cody Morris gets stretched back, back out, but I suspect he's probably going to be a reliever. So, yeah, they could probably use some veteran help. I'm not sure they're going to spend a lot to get one, but they could probably use some veteran help. 
Yeah, they've got a lot of options between veterans and young guys. So I, I do want to ask you, who do you think, uh, if you kind of had to project out the rotation next year, who do you think would be in it? Since there's there's a lot of guys that you could put there right now. Yeah. Um, well, if Bieber and McKenzie are healthy, then I would say Bieber, McKenzie, Bobby, Williams, Allen, and that would be your rotation probably. Um, probably somebody's not going to be healthy, so then Cal Quantrill would get in there. I like Quantrill a lot. Um, so I think it's possible maybe, you know, if McKenzie's – if they're bringing McKenzie back slow, they could bring it – they could put him in the bullpen for a little bit. Uh, otherwise, you probably would see somebody like Allen or Williams spend some time in AAA again just working on stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I think – I'd be surprised if Quantrill doesn't find his way in the rotation, but the problem probably solves itself by somebody not being quite healthy. Unfortunately, that's just how it goes in, in pitching. But I think those are your five best starters, Beaver McKenzie, Bobby Williams, and Allen. Allen's just a little bit better than Quantrill, I think. The upside's a little bit better. Yeah, at this point. Um, yeah, before we get out of here, I do want I did it last time we recorded. I brought up one of the tweet of yours. Uh, I do want to do it again this time because um, – you're 40, I'm 28, but at the same time, I kind of agree with the sentiment that you're that you're trying to tell here. Um, and it's, uh, quote, I'm 40 years old, so let me offer some advice. Uh, back in my day, social media didn't exist. The Guardians got humiliated, lost disappointing games, and I was sad or mad for a minute, then got excited for the next game. Uh, Twitter was a mistake. <laughs> Props to Twins fans. Let's get them in 2024. So I wanted to bring that up because, like I said, I agree with what, a lot of what you're saying. And it goes back to the whole criticism thing with Tito, because I feel like um, while he isn't above criticism or blame, I, me personally, I do feel like he's gotten too much criticism uh, for how um, disappointing the season has been. Um, like I said, he's he's not above criticism, but um, and I don't want to sound like a boomer or get off my yard. Like I said, I'm 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 young. I use social media all the time, especially Twitter. Um, but the fact that anybody is able to give their opinion, whether it's a decent opinion, I guess, or not at any moment, I feel like has kind of infiltrated this entire fan base on top of the expectations that you've kind of established coming into the season. And it's just kind of boiled over um, for months now at this point. Yeah. Find yourself some guardians fans who aren't on Twitter to talk to you and it helps give you some good perspective. Um, almost all those fans love Tito and think he can do no wrong. So it's probably tells you that people who are blaming the whole season on Tito are doing something that's off track of where reality is, but that's how it is on social media. Social media is great for community. Obviously, you know, I can call you a friend because of social media and I can call lots of other great people friends, but unfortunately also it's a place where if you have a thought, you can just say your thought and a bunch of people can read your thought. Like millions of people could read your thought. And if you say something dumb enough, that millions of people could read your thought. And that's not always a positive thing. So it's important to remember that sometimes you just got to put the phone down, touch some grass, remember that things are going to be okay. Exactly. Couldn't say it better myself. Um, yeah, but with that point, obviously the season is a wash at this point. Uh, twins, by all means, are going to win the division. We'll have to pack up and look forward to next year. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on again. Um, I do want to again give you the opportunity to kind of plug your Twitter account and covering the corner as well because it is a great platform and the podcast that you do. Um, I listened from time to time. Uh, I was a guest at one point as well, so uh, just kind of give the audience, you know, what you do. Yeah. 
Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, on Quincy Wheeler one and at guardian fan on Twitter. I've uh, been doing about one episode a week for a little bit just because of time constraints, but we'll do a couple more coming up to wrap up the season on guardian fan cast. You can find it on your major plat- podcast platforms. Appreciate you. Let me plug that. Um, kind of thinking of maybe giving up Twitter and moving to some other places. So you can always find me Quincy Wheeler one in any place you want to, want to look um but covering the corner i'll continue to write for them as long as sports nation has a blog for the guardians so um so you can find me there covering the corner.com we have good discussions there lots of interesting insight a lot of good commenters provide a lot of good information so if you like the guardians you want to check in there make sure to read the articles and the comments and you'll see a lot of good insight and uh, it's a community that i enjoy uh, but I also enjoy hanging out with folks on Guardians Twitter. There's a lot of good folks out there like Amari, a lot of good podcasts out there to talk about Guardians. So thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, yeah. And as I say that, the Guardians give up a run, so it's 5-2. They better <laughs> hold on to that lead. Um, but yeah, for, for Quincy, um, your host is always Amari McPherson. So uh, we'll try to look forward to next year. Hopefully we get back to it. But uh, this has been another episode of Believe in Guardians, and we'll catch you next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.